we're starting up a new series. And let me tell you, this is, this is significant to me. And planning it, I'm realizing, boy, you know, if I, if I let my mind wander, this could go on for a long time. And the reason it could go on for a long time, the, the title of the series is Level Up, and this is the premise. We have had a lot of new believers come into this ch- church, new converts, people who... who Aren't, aren't previously churched, then you've been associated with church in the past, but you're not previously churched. And we started from this concept of video games. Who here loves video games? If you're under the age of 50, chances are you grew up playing video games. And so there's this concept in gaming, especially role-playing games, that when you start out, there, there's very few tools of your trade that you can use, but the further you go along, the more you escalate, the more you level up and you can do more things. You have more abilities, you have more weapons you can use, all those things. And as Christians, it is very similar that what we find is in our infancy, there's only so many tools, so many things we understand about the realm of God. And yet what I see in churches, I see many people stuck in a cycle of what I call infancy. It's like we're stuck at stage one. And we're not moving past. And, and we, all, we find all kinds of things to blame. And what I want to do, because I believe that churches all over, they are, they are presenting the tools, but it takes us to actually step up and say, okay, I'm going to discipline myself, and I'm going to progress in my faith. And i got to tell you, this first message today, it's challenging. And every time, I'm telling you, every time I have spoken on the subject, I have people that approach me afterwards with excuses. I'm reading directly from the Word of God, and I have heard people come up and say, I hear you, but. And I hear this but after I present something that seems so glaringly obvious to me in Scripture. And so what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to challenge you today to examine what the Word of God says. Is everyone in agreement with that? To examine what the Word of God says and ask yourselves today, How would Jesus want me to respond? There's a story that um, I was praying about and I feel compelled to tell. 2014, a good friend of mine was in a bike accident. Joy, I know this is going to hit close to home to you. Um, A friend of mine was in a bike accident. He He was getting ready for Ragbri. And it was early July, and Ragbri is always toward the end of July. And that day was going to be a 40-mile ride for Scott. And Scott got about nine miles away from home. He was on a country road outside of Jefferson. And someone hit him from behind at 65 miles an hour. And then they fled the scene. And here Scott is laying in a ditch, and somehow, by the grace of God, he manages to get to his bike and find his phone. 
At the time, he didn't know quite what was going on. But about 10 minutes later, a friend of his showed up, and he was on the phone with 911 at the time. And the reason they showed up, they were just going to work, and they pulled out from this gravel road and, and saw him there. And they didn't, they didn't even know what was going on. They, the, the guy was prepared to make fun of him because he's like, here's this big biker, and you only make it right out of town. And quickly realized what's going on, and uh, he takes the phone from Scott. Ambulance gets there, they bring him to the local hospital, and eventually he gets life-flighted down here to Des Moines. He has a nearly severed arm, nearly severed leg, and he's in rough shape. And he was telling me, because he was sharing this story with me again this last week, and he said, uh, I had two things going through my mind when I got hit. He said, the first thing was, this is going to hurt. He said, the second thing, he says, and I don't know why. Second thing was, you're going to need to forgive this person. Turns out, the girl that hit her, she didn't realize it at the time, but uh, it was her neighbor from down the street that she hit. And... After Scott eventually gets out of the hospital, and there's, there's quite a few miracles that occurred from this story, but after he gets out of the hospital, he's at, he's at home and he's in a wheelchair. And the parents of the girl call him and said, we would like to come over and have dinner with you and we'll, we'll bring pizza. And Scott said, I'd like that. And so the parents come over and, and the young girl comes over and he says she's meek and mild and sitting there the whole time and doesn't really know what to say. And she, she musters up the strength to say, I want you to know I'm, I'm sorry. And Scott, in the only way Scott can, he said, I'm, I'm sure you are. He said, you know, how, how could you not be? And he said this girl just shut down and it came time eventually that they were going to leave and he said she was very meek and mild and just stood off at a distance. And he said his wife at that moment, they did everything they could to help him stand up out of the wheelchair and he's, he's just basically on one leg at the time. And he looked at her and he said, come here. And she came to him and he put his arms around her. And he said, I love you. There are so many ways we can respond to pain. And I think about all the emotions and the baggage and the hurt we sometimes carry. And I realize now more than ever, and it's going to be hard for some to hear, that's a choice. That's a choice. And I'm going to read you a story today. And I want you to really examine what the emotions would be like to go through this. I'm going to read about Jacob and Esau. And as you're turning to Genesis chapter 27, I want to tell you, these, these two were twins. But at the time, Esau was technically known as the firstborn because of the twins. He came out first. And that was important to the Hebrew people because the birthright in tradition belonged to the oldest. 
And so automatically, the birthright was going to go to Esau. And so they grew up, and Jacob was envious of his brother. But Jacob's mother favored him over the other. And so we're going to read today, and we're, I'm going to try and condense this as much as I can. We're going to read about Jacob. What, what is taking place is his father is on his deathbed. He can't see, but he wants to, right before he dies, bless his oldest son and honor him in his birthright. And Jacob's about to trick his father into believing that he's his brother. And he hurts his brother in the process. We're going to read Genesis 27, 1 through 10 right now. It says, One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied, I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessings that belong to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But when Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau, or, or excuse me, but Rebekah overheard what Isaac said to his son Esau, so when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. And so Jacob follows his mother's instructions explicitly. And in fact, his brother was known to be quite hairy. And he was, he was a redhead. And so what, what Jacob even did is he, he took goat's hair and he put it on his body to trick his father into believing it was his brother. And Jacob takes this food into his dad and his dad begins to bless him. And we're going to read, pick up at verse 30. And just read through verse 33. It says, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, Sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so that you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, Who are you? Esau replied, It's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Then who just served me the wild game? I have already eaten it, and I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. I want you to think about the reaction that Esau must have had in that moment. Every blessing, every connection with God, everything that Esau understood about... His father and his household, he was expecting to be passed on to him. And the emotions that it would have carried of finding out, someone just robbed that from me. I want to sit with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, 
Thank you for your word and your truth. And God, I ask that you will speak today. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. As you can imagine, Jacob had to flee because his brother wanted to kill him. Don't you think rightfully so? Come on, there there are natural responses that we have when we have been hurt. And in fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, the Old Testament gives us of how we ought to respond to someone who's hurt us. I want to read for you Leviticus chapter 24, verses 19 through 21. It says, Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. Whoever kills an animal must pay for it in full, but whoever kills another person must be put to death. Seems pretty black and white to me, don't you think? You read that and think, okay, I understand that. And so the biblical law opened the door for payback. Yet if you are sitting here in church today, I would advise anyone against seeking any kind of payback, restitution, taking someone to court. You're like, wait, pastor. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what's come against me. And we could turn to scriptures in the Old Testament like Leviticus chapter 24 and say, here is precedence for me to be okay doing this. And, I, I, and, and you might be struggling with, why, pastor, would you advise not to if the Old Testament law permitted us to do these things? And I want to tell you something, and I really want you to examine this for your heart. And I understand there are people you have gone through this, and you might think, boy, pastor is just condemning me today, and I want to tell you absolutely not. What I am asking you to consider is I am asking you to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit and say, God, if you truly want to strengthen me, if you truly want to help me progress in my faith, move on, be more like you, Who do I need to be? And that's the message I want you to hear today. Because I believe the reasons we are not to do this and the reason the Old Testament permitted it is the same reason the Old Testament law permitted divorce. Listen to this. When when trying to understand why the Old Testament permitted it, Jesus said, listen to this, because I want you to compartmentalize, think about these things. Matthew 19, 8 through 9, it, it says, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So Jesus is laying out the reasons why these things were permitted. So in the Old Testament, the Old Testament permitted payback because of our hard hearts. Are you hearing me? That's the reason it permitted payback. And so the Old Testament law, I honestly believe, was a safeguard at the time. Hear me out. It was a safeguard, and that was the reason it was put there. And the reason I can say that, and I can give a very good example, have you ever found yourself in the middle of a prank war? 
Maybe some of you have. For those of you who uh, are ever on the receiving end, I uh, am a bit of a prankster. And usually, usually, my pranks are pretty innocent. But what I have found that if you find yourself in a prank war, there is usually a retaliation for a prank. Amen? And that retaliation for that prank usually does what? It escalates, right? It always goes, the heat turns up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And it may start out with replacing the cream in your Twinkie with mustard. But the next thing you know, your car is being vandalized and you're like, wait a second. How on earth did we get here? And at the time, the Old Testament law, what, 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 was, what God was doing was, it was a safeguard to our natural demands for payback that would tend to escalate. Some of you are like, why, why do we do that? Why is that a natural response to not only seek payback, but it's like, oh no, I want more. Here's what it is. Sin gives birth to sin, right? And unchecked sin causes it to progress further. So think about this. Even if it is someone else's sin, it's not your sin, but even if it's someone else's sin, if we don't yield to the Spirit of God and we linger in something like hurt, it can lead us down a very destructive path. So until Christ came, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, it was a reasonable law in the Old Testament. It was reasonable. Yet when someone hurts you or sins against you, there are many ways that we respond that are not good, they're not healthy. One of the first ways is bitterness. Your bitterness towards one person or a situation can affect every single aspect of your life. You get so wrapped up in the wrong that is against you that you are unable to enjoy the present and what you do is you open the door to depression. It can turn uh, hurts. It, it, can, it can create hurts in other relationships. Or then there's revenge, that natural desire to pay back. And what it often does, and we don't think about this in the moment, it causes us to return sin with sin. And then what we have to do is we have to live with the consequences for our actions. And I'm going to tell you something. I want you to truly think about this. I love watching the NFL. And here in a few months, we're going to have the NFL again, and hope springs eternal for the Chicago Bears. Um, but the, if there's one thing I notice in the NFL, when there's a scuffle on the field, when there's a scrum or, or some kind of fighting, you know, it's, it's never the first guy that gets caught. It's always the one who retaliates that gets the flag thrown. It almost always is. And this is a great lesson in the consequences for retaliation. Some of you are thinking, now, pastor, what it means is I should just be the one to strike first. And 
I, I'm telling you, that's not the lesson I am giving today. But even when we feel justified in returning a favor, it can be very, very harmful. Back to our main story. Jacob, he fled for Haran. And eventually he, he married there and he, he, raised, he started to raise a family there. And there, there, there's a whole big story there that we're not going to get into. But after 20 years, he is called by God to return to his native land. But there was one issue with that. He was terrified of facing his brother. Absolutely terrified. In fact, he is so torn up over facing him, he goes into complete crisis mode on the journey. Have you guys ever experienced anything like that? I mean, he is beside himself to the point that that night, what happens is it says an angel of the Lord appears, and he wrestles with the angel all night long. And actually, this is it's Christ, what we learn in the story. It's Christ. And... Jacob, the Spirit of God does something interesting in Jacob and all that. Because the Spirit of God gives Jacob a desire, a strength, to rise up and be the man God has called him to be. And what we learn is, Jacob in this wrestling match eventually wins. God kind of let himself get pinned, right? And so that next day, Jacob is prepared to meet his brother and an army of 400 men. And I have to be thinking about what is also going through Esau's mind at this time. Because Scripture tells us not to take revenge. I don't know if you're aware of that. It tells us not to. You can look back to Leviticus 24, but if you go on, if you read the New Testament, believe in Jesus Christ, we have to accept and stand on that God is our righteous judge. He can judge according to everything he knows, and there is nothing that goes unseen from him. Who says amen to that? And so Romans 12, 19 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Because here's the thing. You can want to take revenge for what you've seen, but then there are all the things that are unseen. And you don't even know what that is. God does. God does. He's witnessed it all. And there's no power, there's no authority greater And I think Jesus would take it as far as saying, you who is without sin cast the first stone. What gives you the right to place a judgment on that person when you are full of sin yourself and maybe you have hurt others unintentionally, intentionally? Who knows? But what can happen is, because we often come into this kind of message, thinking about all the hurts that have been against us. 
And there are many people in churches that are carrying unforgiveness. And something that I want you to take note of, and I think this is significant, because if you truly examine yourself, I believe God will open the door to allow you to see it. Pain becomes the identity of people who have unforgiveness. And it's constant. It's perpetual. It affects your judgment and perspective because you view the world through a lens of hurt. And so every wrong that takes place in your life, you look as a, at a, as a personal offense. And then all of a sudden there becomes a sensitivity toward rejection. And then we put up grudges against people and our grudges it can affect our integrity. And what we might do is we might complain and gossip about those who have offended us. And it can even lead to telling lies in order to gain sympathy and support from others. It's so destructive. And so what I wanted to do was, I wanted to look up what are the benefits of forgiveness? What, what, what are the benefits for us as people? And something interesting I found. This wasn't put out by a Christian organization it was put out by Mayo Clinic. Mayo Clinic, Kelly. These are the benefits of forgiving someone according to Mayo Clinic. Healthier relationships. Improved mental health. Less anxiety, stress, and hostility. Fewer symptoms of depression. Lower blood pressure, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, improved self-esteem. Thanks, Gabe. Now here's Jesus' instruction in all this. The most famous sermon ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount. And the principles that he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, it can seem painful and out of our natural human instincts because it speaks of a different way of living. And so reading this, I still get convicted when I read it. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 38 through 42, he says, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. We just read that. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say... Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. I don't know about you, but I hear this, and immediately I want to challenge Jesus and what he is saying. We can think of, what about being taken advantage of? Or appearing weak to people. I don't want to appear weak. But Jesus also says in Matthew 10, 16, to be gentle as a dove and wise as a serpent. And so some of you are like, well, I need to be wise enough to tell people no. That's, what, that's the permission that Jesus is giving me there. But I believe 
Jesus is teaching us this principle of not walking in hurt. Because it is not only beneficial for us, and it can have a great effect on our heart, but also by our walk and by what we value and what we deem as more important, it ministers who Jesus Christ is. When you walk in the freedom from bitterness and hurt, it keeps your perspective on more important things. Eternal things. What it does for your spirit. What it can do for the spirit of another. And you might think, what about those who mean evil for me? How should I respond to them? Because, because they, they intentionally did this against me. Listen to what Jesus says. Same sermon. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 45. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. Church, I am telling you today, if someone will just hear this message and apply it to your lives, there's going to be freedom. But even when I think I couldn't have been any more clearer about the word of God, I guarantee you someone's going to say they don't agree with it. I guarantee it. It happens every time I preach it. Pastor Morris, it happens every time you preach it, doesn't it? It does. And yet, these are not my words. These are the words of Christ telling us the way to live. And here's the thing I know. Jesus Christ is the only one who could preach that message because he was the perfect example of it. As he went to the cross, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't call on an army of angels to rescue him. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He understood this isn't an attack on me. This is a revelation of their heart. Church, he understood our hearts are full of hate and sin. All of us. And it wasn't even necessarily their sin that put him on the cross, but it is how we naturally respond to sin. It demands a penance. But sin unchecked, it gives birth to more sin. And so when you make the decision to react, when you make the decision to finally say, I'm going to choose to follow the words of Christ, I will test him in this, I will see if he honors his word, I will choose forgiveness even when it's difficult. I'm going to tell you, when you make that decision, it's going to feel extremely vulnerable. You might feel like you're about to lose everything. Jacob's approaching his brother Esau. He didn't know the condition of Esau's heart. He knew 400 men were coming and all he had was his family and his servants with him. 
And I'm going to pick up Genesis 33, 1 through 4. It says, Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. Everyone say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front. Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Listen to verse 4. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they both wept. Esau had successfully removed any unforgiveness that he had towards his brother from his heart. Jacob here, he was prepared for the worst, but this was not a a burden over Esau anymore other than a chance to make peace with his brother. And he had it. And he seized it. And guys, I am telling you, there is always an opportunity for forgiveness. It is never too late. It is never too late. Jesus tells the story of a young man who decides that he wants his inheritance long before his dad is dead. Imagine the slap of face that must feel like to a parent. And so he asks for his inheritance. He, he leaves and goes off on his own, and he spends it on wild living, drinking, women. He blew it all. Jesus even describes the situation as so desperate that he was sleeping with pigs. He had nowhere to turn. So what he did, some of you guys know this, he did the walk of shame back home. And as he's going, he's preparing what he's going to say to his father. He's preparing how his dad might react. And in Luke 15, 18 through 24, he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He believed even just being a servant in his father's household was better than any other situation he could have. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead is now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. Church, I'm telling you, with God the Father, there is always room for forgiveness. But the very last thing I want to talk about, there is a condition in which God cannot forgive you. I want you to listen to Matthew 6, 14 through 15. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, 
Father will not forgive your sins. There's a lot more at risk to not forgiving people who've hurt us. And some of you might say, well, what, what if... What if I go to them? What if I approach them and just say, you know, I, I forgive you, but I'm sorry for my part in it too. And they choose to reject me. I know that's a, that's a natural feeling we might have. And I want you to think about this. Your ability to forgive others is not dependent on the actions of the other person. It's about you making peace with God and peace with the earth. And so what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to open yourself up to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because what I believe the Spirit of God wants to do, He wants to uproot any unforgiveness in us. That we can completely surrender that over to God. That we can have peace with Him. That we can go and make peace with those maybe we have hurt or that have hurt us. And there might be someone in this room who is struggling and saying, That's, that seems so impossible. And I'm going to tell you, that is the enemy that doesn't want you to let go of the pain. Because he knows that once you learn true freedom in Christ, there is nothing that can affect your spirit. And there are people in this room who God is telling you right now, let go. Let go of your pain. unimaginable freedom that you're going to experience. And lastly, some of you, that might pertain to you forgiving yourself. Realizing that God can change your heart. And all those things you've done in the past, it's exactly that. It's in the past. God wants to move on your life today. And there's nothing you have done So God, I believe, is calling you to surrender today. And if he is calling you to surrender, what we're going to do we're just going to let go of him. So what I want you to do, if this is you, if, if you've been struggling, maybe with a hurt you've been carrying, or in a way, something you hold against yourself, What I want you to do is an act, a symbolic act to the Lord. I want you to spread out both hands and open yourselves up to God. And I want you to pray with me. Father God, Lord, you know the hurts that are in this room. God, some unimaginable pain And Lord, in each and every situation, I believe your spirit is telling us 
so God, as your spirit begins to work right now, I pray that, God, we will take the steps to let go. God, we will confess it to you right now. That pain, that hurt we're carrying. God, we will, we will walk out of this room and we will go make peace wherever it is we need to make peace. Because Lord, for the sake of us, for the sake of our households, for the sake of our church, for the sake of our relationship with you, we need to move on. And God, we believe in your power and what you can do right now through this situation. And God, I trust and know that Lord, the moment that we completely let go, God, there's going to be freedom in our lives. Lord, others are going to see us and say, that's a changed person. And God, may we choose not to harbor these things anymore. I praise you and I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, and everyone said.